2: Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, USBets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And for the second week in a row, I'm starting the podcast reacting to a little nugget reported by our pal, David Purdom. Hmm. We were all aware the Jaguars-Chargers line bounced around significantly last week based on reports that Justin Herbert was unlikely to play. What I didn't know until reading Purdom's Monday article was that one late line adjustment was caused by the scoreboard operator at SoFi Stadium putting up (laughs) an image a couple of hours prior to the game of backup quarterback Chase Daniel indicating he'd be the starter. Uh, The scoreboard operator was wrong and Herbert played, uh, but none of the lines mattered much with the Jags dominating and winning 38 to 10. Still, John, am I safe in assuming your days of making massive bets based on information from scoreboard operators are over?
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, You know, I love your wager on the Jaguars for a simple reason. You like them at plus seven points, even if Herbert was fully healthy. And clearly that was a major question just before game time. So he did play play that you won anyway so that strikes me as the perfect storm you're not betting based solely on a possibly inaccurate assumption or because a scoreboard operator was oblivious to gambling interests or whatever you know so i like that but you know speaking of which i i think i mentioned once that for one season of my eight covering the new jersey nets in the 1990s i guess 1996 97 maybe i did a live five minute radio segment just before the start of each game and i knew what the station wanted i felt so i'd worked the locker room less than an hour before the game and one favorite of mine was talking to the team, star players were a little banged up, right? So the team would listen official status. He's going to play questionable, you know, probable, whatever. But I've been on the beat a few years. I would prod the player a little bit. You know, we knew each other. And sometimes all it took was an eye roll or a sheepish smile. And I knew pretty well if the star was going to play or it was going to be very limited or whatever. So I'd proudly report that on the radio show as like a little extra nugget for, you know, uh, basketball fans. And it never dawned on me that some gambler somewhere was using my info as part of the evidence and deciding which way to bet. Uh, I I believe such a person like myself there is known as a chump, Eric. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs> I would never use such a term to describe you. Yes. But uh, but uh, yeah, you know, we we, we talked about a, a sort of related topic to the the scoreboard information type thing recently with the statistics on sports bettors using Twitter that we discussed recently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have definitely had moments where I happened to be looking at Twitter just as some news about a player broke. And I immediately jumped on one of my sportsbook apps to see if I could bet it before the line moved. Mm-hmm. And that's always without me having verified the information I just saw on Twitter It would have come from a trusted source, certainly if I saw it. But still, even trusted sources can get stuff wrong, too. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, uh, it was all irrelevant to me in this Jaguars Chargers game, because as you said, I I was of the opinion that the line was way wrong from the start. So I'd already bet on the Jags plus seven first thing that week. I had the Jags money line. And I had my sweet, sweet plus 912 parlay on Uh Jags and Lions money lines, which Uh never mind. The Lions blew a 10 point fourth quarter lead because of course they did. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, I've learned my lesson, John, about betting parlays with our shared bankroll. But uh, apparently I haven't learned my lesson in real life (laughs) yet.
1: Yeah, the book, the books are glad for it, so keep at it.
2: <laughs> yes, exactly. All right, thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 211 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 210 episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. Please subscribe, rate, and review. And also, it should go without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway please
1: never make large bets based on the information you hear on this podcast. Oh, no worries there, I suspect. <laughs> but, uh, coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by Action Network CEO Patrick Keene to give us his thoughts on the state of U.S. sports betting business in 2022. Well, that's Patrick, how much he thinks the legal markets have cut down on offshore betting, you know, how the industry is doing on addressing responsible gambling and more. But first has been, a, oh, pretty much a typically busy week in the world of gambling. So let's
3: get to it here's your gamble on news of the week an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling
2: These are the final days of AGA Responsible Gaming Education Month, so we'll start the news segment with a responsible gaming story. Last Thursday, several major online gaming operators joined together to announce a 12-point pledge committing to principles of responsible online gaming. Among the operators working together on these principles are FanDuel, DraftKings, BetMGM, Bally's, and Entain. I won't go through all 12 principles, but they include preventing underage or excluded gamblers from playing, using socially responsible advertising, encouraging customers to bet responsibly in various ways, etc. As far as I know, this is the first step like this, made by a group of operators working in unison. But will it be reflected in serious actions from these operators, or is it just lip service? That's the big question the skeptical among us in the industry are asking. Uh, John. How big a deal is this in your view? And do any of the pledges of principles that they list particularly catch your eye?
1: Well, you know, the typical path for these sort of things I've found over the years is uh, tends to be that it starts with just, just lip service. But often over time, you know, the do-good stuff uh, begins to add up as mm-hmm. common sense. I mean, underage players slipping through the cracks, for instance, or compulsive gamblers blowing all their money to a sports book. You know, th- those, those raise the bottom line a little bit, you know, in the short run, uh, literally. But the blowback from that is very likely to be far more damaging uh, in the long run than, it's, than it is profitable. So, you know, and once doing the right thing, gets recognized as being also one of the smart things, you know, that's when real progress is made. Uh, I want to add that it's really good to see that former Gambler guest, Craig Carton, who's a WFAN sports radio talk show host here in New York City area and a recovering compulsive gambler, he's extended his partnership with FanDuel. Mm-hmm. You know, Craig is a bit in the shock jock mode that is not my personal cup of tea, but he also has uh, a sort of brashness that attracts young, potentially compulsive sports fans. He's edgy enough that when he gets serious about the possible disaster that lurks in irresponsible gambling, he has a credibility that many others would not have with that fan group. So I think that partnership's even bigger than the 12 Prince frankly, although I think those are a positive step as well. Yeah, you know, I, I've gotten in the habit
2: of listening most weeks to his Hello, My Name is Craig show mm-hmm. as a podcast when it drops on Saturday mornings. Mm-hmm. Uh, not every week, but but usually I catch yeah. it. It's pretty good. Um, and speaking of former Gamble on guests, um, our colleague Mike Seely wrote a good piece on Sports Handle this week where he got uh, a couple of RG experts who've been on our podcast to, to comment on the 12 point pledge. Uh, he mm-hmm. talked to Keith White and to Brianne Dora Shawall, and they both essentially said, you know, this is encouraging to see but I'm a little skeptical. Um, Specifically, Mm. Keith noted, quote, I like it a lot because it helps set a standard for responsible gambling and it very implicitly calls out the people who haven't signed on to raise the bar. Um, but he pointed out, uh, some of these companies offer social casinos for play money, which are not regulated and some operate in DC, which Keith said doesn't have full consumer protections in place. So he was poking a few holes in it. Um, and Brianne had a good quote in, in pointing out that they really need to get every operator on board. She said, As wonderful as it is to see these operators commit to these standards, the truth of the matter is the market is only as safe and as strong as the weakest operator. Um, In terms of some of the specific principles, the, the one that caught my eye was this one. We encourage patrons to set a budget that they can afford to and never play beyond their means and not view gaming as a means to financial success. I want to see how they do that. You know, I, I've never seen an operator encourage me to set a budget. You know, I, I've seen that NFL NCPG ad that encourages it, that, that mm-hmm. have a game plan slogan. But I just really want to see how this is put into use, whether going forward when I open a new account somewhere or... Will I get a message explaining setting a budget and bankroll management and that I should view this as entertainment and not as a way to get rich? I don't know. I'm just curious to see how they're going to put those words into action. Um, And the one other thing I'll note is that since there is a principle about uh, the employees of these companies getting RG training, We may as well take a moment to pat our parent company on the back as um, somewhat to my annoyance. uh, You and I and everyone else we work with has had to sign up for two (laughs) separate Zoom seminars in October discussing RG. It's great that they're doing it. I I was half joking about finding it annoying. I'm just kind of tired of meetings and seminars. But obviously, the good outweighs the annoying here.
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I think this stuff is worthwhile. and, And I like the idea of sort of peer pressuring. Uh, the other companies, although if yeah. they don't sign on right away, then it sort of seems like that'll be going through the motion. So, uh, but you know, it's better than nothing. But uh, I, you know, I think the the budget thing, you know, for us and for uh, others in new markets that have big bonuses, you know, one of the most obvious things to do is, uh, in f- over four years, I've never put another nickel into any of my accounts. You know, I started out way ahead because they gave me some so many bonuses, and I've never. You know, knocked out that entire amount. And I think, right. you know, that would be something to have people keep in mind. How often do you, you know, to do you re- replenish your account? And should you be doing, you know, maybe, maybe take a month off if you run out of money again? I mean, I'm never going to run out of money, to be honest with you, but I'm still cheap.
2: <laughs> right. And as, uh, although uh, if you if you experiment with more of those thousand dollar, quote unquote, yeah. risk free bets, maybe then you, you could get yourself into trouble. But uh, I, it sounds like you're done with that. But uh, but yeah, no, I mean, it's definitely a little tricky for the sports books and the you know casino operators and all that is that redepositing is central to their financial uh, plan, you know, that's how they make their money is, you know, not from the people like us who may deposit once. And if we do grind it down, we're probably not going to deposit a second time. Uh, It's the people that put in a thousand bucks, it disappears in a month, they put in another thousand bucks, and they just rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. That's, you know, so it, it is a tricky thing that they want you to be responsible. But they also do want you to keep depositing as long as you aren't uh, a true problem gambler?
1: Yeah, that's what makes it such an odd business. You know, uh, the the standard thing is you w- when you have a recreational. Uh, a hobby, whatever, you spend a certain amount of money, you know what it costs, you get whatever you get. And that's the end of it here, you might lose everything, you might win a lot, you know, mm-hmm. it, you never know. And so in the course of a year, one person makes $8,000, another person loses 20. And, you know, most people hopefully only lose like five or 6% of what they bet. And that's not a big problem. But, right. but um, it is sort of a unique industry in that way. And uh, so I, I don't know how they solve this exactly. Yeah.
2: All right. For our second story, let's go to the state of Maryland. And anyone paying close attention to Gamble On knows that almost every recent Maryland story we've touched on (laughs) has been a negative one uh, about the state's sports betting launch date. Well, finally, we have some positive news on that front. Just when most insiders had given up on a launch before the start of 2023, the Maryland Sports Wagering Application Review Commission indicated last week that it is planning to accelerate the timeline by evaluating applications on a rolling basis after the application window closes on October 21st. That has some expecting books to begin going live in November and has at least raised confidence in a launch before the end of the calendar year. It's minor news, but when it comes to the Maryland launch timeline, even minor positive news is a big deal. So, John, how confident are you that Marylanders won't have the rug pulled out one more time and Is the timeline really that big a deal for bettors when legal online betting is just a short drive away from pretty much anywhere in the state
1: anyway? Yeah, I mean, Marylanders, uh, I like that word for some reason, but um, (laughs) yeah, they can legally bet in. Nearby DC and Virginia and Delaware, or Pennsylvania or West Virginia, depending on what part of uh, uh, Maryland they're in. But, you know, I did a mapquest.com search and you can Google that one, kids. Um, (laughs) And I think as it happens, residents of Baltimore seem to be as far away from a legal option as anyone in the state. Hmm. I mean, it might take them like an hour to get to several of those locations. So a launch really is convenience for a large segment of Maryland's population since Baltimore is by far the biggest city. So there are a lot of people on the fringes of Maryland who are right next door to a, a uh, legal option but i think the core uh, population isn't quite that close so you know i've consistently forecast that lucy would pull that football away from charlie brown's kicking a tap one more time in maryland and i'm not dating myself there at all with that reference no, but not a bit uh and uh, i've always won but also I'll, I'll stick with the under on a november launch of maryland sports betting i think there's just too many moving parts here
2: okay yeah i'm kind of with you that um I feel optimistic for those uh, folks uh, who've been waiting in Maryland to do it from their couch that that, that they're getting close, but I'd also go after November. I'm, I'm thinking maybe early December feels about right mm-hmm. based on all this new information. It does seem Maryland will get there before Massachusetts, <laughs> which is a relief since Maryland legalized about two years before Massachusetts did. <laughs> um, this idea of rolling evaluations is interesting just because it means operators, almost certainly are not all launching at the same time in Maryland, they might launch one or two at a time every few days for a while. I suppose Um, that stands in contrast with like Ohio and it's January 1st universal start date for everyone. And it would give some sports books a competitive advantage. You know, there are a lot of customers who've been itching to bet on sports, but Mm -hmm. only want to have one or two accounts. They're not looking to deposit 500 bucks in 10 different places and lay out Mm -hmm. five grand. And so it's just, Okay, Fanduel is live. I'm signing up for Fanduel, and that's it. And then they ignore the next 25 sites that launch. So I'll be very curious to see that. How what the rollout looks like? How many sites come at what points, and whether those ones that launch first end up uh, with a bigger piece of the market share?
1: Yeah, I'm not one of those who minds the idea of uh, somebody getting out to a head start. I mean, it seems to me everyone has a fair chance to have their act together. You know communicate with the regulators directly, uh, understand exactly what they need, you know, double check and say, is this enough? Can you review this and see if I need any more information uh, to give you? I mean, all, if they do all that, they're going to be out front. I mean, some of these states where, you know, yeah, you can lag as much as you want because we're going to wait until you get your act together and then you can join the other boys. I mean, it, it, to me, uh, you set a deadline, you, you let people know what they need to do. And if they don't do it in time, that's their problem.
2: Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Um, A little change of pace with our third story. Let's do a fun one about a massive parlay hitting. Uh, As we've said many times on the podcast, parlay betting is a losing play in the long run for almost (laughs) everyone. Uh, See my Lions Jags bet that I mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, But it can be fun if you have realistic expectations going in. Marco Piemonte, a noted parlay enthusiast from Illinois who oversees five family car dealerships and apparently has the funding to bet bigger than the average Joe, placed a six leg, $65,000 parlay. Uh, Like I said, he has some funds uh, on two college football games and four NFL games over the weekend at 87 to one for a payout of five point seven million dollars. The bet was placed at points bet, where those minus 107 lines instead of minus 110 make the parlay calculation a little better. The first leg, University of Minnesota Moneyline won, and then he had Arkansas plus two against Texas A&M and got a backdoor push, effectively eliminating that leg from the calculation, keeping the bet alive. But dropping his potential payout to $2.96 million. Uh, he had two NFL underdog money lines the Colts at plus 200 and the Jags, after a lot of the value had come out of it at plus 140. Then the Packers covered against the Bucks, and just one leg remained Denver plus one and a half versus the 49ers points bet offered him a cash out of 1.245 million, but he let it ride and the Broncos pulled out that gross 11 to 10 (laughs) win. Uh, The whole thing is a good example of just how many things need to go right to get you a victory on a six legger but they went right for Piemonte and wrong for PointsBet, which presumably feels a $3 million loss more than some operators would. John, your thoughts on the better, the bet, and the impact on PointsBet?
1: Yeah, I mean, as it happens, I had a long time, very positive professional relationship with the biggest car dealer in New Jersey before he passed away earlier this year. I knew he was a multimillionaire. Turns out he was worth hundreds of millions. So mm. uh, I mentioned that because because while I want to hate the fact this guy didn't hedge the final leg of the bet, I mean, you have to do it, don't you? <laughs> I suspect not winning the $3 million or winning the 3000000 million doesn't completely change his financial life, uh, uh, you know, as it would for 99% of us. So I can't quite knock him for that if my supposition is accurate about how wealthy he is. This is what it takes for him to be, you know, getting a sweat as opposed mm-hmm. to us worrying about a $20 bet or whatever. So <laughs> right. Um, you're right the point that Points Bet doesn't have the deep pockets of a DraftKings or a FanDuel or a Caesars, but that Australian company also was very good at marketing and social media. So, you know, the more publicity, including the free kind that we unintentionally are giving them right now, yeah. <laughs> the, you know, the more it might entice more parlay betting, which ultimately improves their bottom line. So I think points bet is liable to be just fine.
2: Yeah. So in terms of his uh, cashing out or hedging and that sort of stuff, the, the thing about these cash out offers is that they never provide fair value to the better. They're they're always trying to get you to give up a little value just to avoid the risk of coming away with zero. So Assuming Piemonte has millions and millions of dollars to his name and can afford to say no to the cash out offer. He was mathematically correct to reject it. But I do still wonder if he might have placed a hedge bet somewhere, Uh, you know, like he could have put 100K on the Niners side to lock in at least a small profit if he lost the final leg. But it sounds like probably uh, he doesn't think that way. And he has the kind of money where the hedge like that would be meaningless to him. Um, I do know he has a history of betting huge parlays, risking even more than $65,000 on them sometimes. And for all I know, he bets and loses so many of them that this almost $3 million win doesn't even put him ahead lifetime. I have no idea, but it's certainly possible. Um, As for points bet, yeah, they're not Fandor or MGM in terms of being a giant that can very easily absorb a $3 million loss, but they'll still be fine. They'll win it back before long. Um, As Chris Altruda pointed out on Sports Handle, though, points bets parlay betting win in Illinois most months is under $3 million. They've only won more than the amount Piemonte just won from them in two of 23 months that they've been operating in Illinois. So it wouldn't be surprising if they show a small overall loss on parlays for the month of September. But like I said, They'll get it back, maybe, maybe directly from Piemonte.
1: Oh, yeah, that's absolutely the case. I mean, there's never a guy that wins that amount. Says, yeah, you know, that was great. I think I'm going to retire. I'm not going right, to play Parlies anymore. That's not going to happen. He's going to bet more money on Parlies. He's going to lose most of them. It, it may take him quite a while to lose the whole $3 million, but right. he'll lose
3: plenty of it. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble interview.
2: Some weeks in the interview segment, we drill down on a very specific topic with a guest with a relatively narrow expertise. This week, we're pulling back and going more big picture with a wide-angle view covering the overall state of the legal sports betting industry as the first month of NFL season comes to a close. So we now welcome to the show the CEO of Action Network, which, full disclosure, has the same parent company as we do, Better Collective, Patrick Keen, Welcome to Gamble On, Patrick.
3: Hi, how are you?
2: Good, good. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I want to start by asking you about sports betting's move into the mainstream. Action Network was ahead of the curve in entering the sports betting media space. You forged content partnerships with major newspapers, and we've all watched as talk of lines and odds has become part of countless major broadcasts. Are you surprised by any of the ways in which gambling has become part of the mainstream conversation so quickly, or, or is this pretty much what you envisioned in 2018?
3: It it absolutely is what we envisioned. And when we put this company together, even before the the uh, repeal of PASPA, we knew that this would become a very large business, even if it wasn't legal in several states. So um, we had always been confident that sports betting was something that was not even necessarily in the shadows, but was really a big part of the general consumer sports viewing, sports watching, sports attendance experience. And Fantasy sports, which is tip, which has been a very large category for uh, you know more than a decade now, has really become a transitionary opportunity for sports bettors. So the popularity of fantasy, more legality, and and just general consumer comfort with uh, investing some of their entertainment dollars in sports betting has meant that we've seen just an explosive business in the hundreds of billions of dollars.
2: Looking back, does it seem strange at all? or silly maybe even that, you know, announcers like Al Michaels had to be cutesy about mentioning point spreads for so long now that we're in this new era where people can be more upfront about it?
3: Well, I, and, and I, I too was watching Thursday night game when when Michaels mentioned that at the end of the game where there was sort of a, a trash touchdown. And I think you're seeing more and more of that happening. And uh, I think it will continue to look like that. And I don't think you're going to see Too many announcers in a very mainstream way being very transparent about betting because, let's face it, the NFL is the largest, most powerful rights holder and media uh, asset holder on the planet, and they really do control the experience of these broadcasts, and they have very clearly mandated to their talent that, let's sort of pump the brakes when it comes to sports betting. We know it's important. We know it's a critical part of the viewing experience and frankly, a huge part of their revenue model increasingly as well as they're getting paid by books too. But I think they want to be a little careful because in their opinion, in their estimation that a large majority of these viewers do not have any wagers on the game. So they want to be careful there. But as I said, remember that fantasy player is increasingly going to be a better and is increasingly going to become a larger part of the totality of audience that is watching these games. Yeah, we're, we're
1: looking at, uh you know, numbers of hundreds of billions of dollars being wagered in the United States now. And on the one hand, that amount probably was already wagered illegally before 2018. Uh, on the other hand, there must be a lot of new bettors who are uh, casual sports fan or, or diehard sports fans, casual bettors who wouldn't have bet on an off, uh, you know, offshore sports book. But now they do bet. Um, there's no way to quantify it ex- exactly, obviously. But, you know, do you have any sense on, on to what extent the amount of money legally wagered now is by mostly new bettors or is it mostly uh, people leaving the offshore illegal market and going to legal?
3: Well, it's hard to quantify, but we definitely assume it's a combination of those two. But there's been interesting data from GeoComply, which is a partner to all of the sports books and is able to see, you know, as an example, just in the past few weekends, they were able to look at the percentage of people that were getting GeoComply calls in an environment around a stadium. And it was like 11, 12% of people that were in stadium were betting. So um, that's one number that I think is interesting. Another one, you look at this sort of, again, corollary to the to the offshore markets is New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania, as we all know, that tri-state area is very close together. And New Jersey was the first legal sports book in the US. And I would have thought that there would be a more common behavior of weirdos like me that would go to New Jersey to bet, that would (laughs) go over the bridge to bet, or would have brunches with their friends to bet. But the reality was when New York became a net new mobile legal state, there was only like 7% of those new signups had also had a New Jersey book. So, what that says is convenience wins overall. And uh, for a lot of people, those offshore books are convenient. You know, they're illegal. Um, but to do this legally, to do it conveniently, and to do it with the number one device that people are going to, which is their phone. Um, is, is something that I think is going to continue to be more than paper cuts to the offshore illegal industry, and is going to take very meaningful share away as more states become legal uh, and these states become mature.
2: So we're coming up now on the end of Responsible Gaming Education Month. How good or how poor a job has the industry done addressing RG to this point, in your view? And and also, what do you feel Action Network's role is in promoting responsible play?
3: Well, you know, we think that that all of the rights holders and the operators have been mandated as well as we have to be very clear about this. And I've said it all along, and I feel this as a better myself, this is about entertainment. And if you're a wildly successful sports better, you're successful like 52% of the time. So, you know, those who make a living and those who really wager beyond their means, I would hope is a very small percentage of the world and should be. But, you know, what, what we're about is, not guaranteeing success, not presenting in such a way that we uh, want people to feel that this is anything other than entertainment. Um, And I really do feel that way. It's how we posture as a content company. It's how we market sportsbooks, partners, uh, and we're legally mandated to do so. So it's a big part of our platform and a big part of what we do because we know it's important for consumers. And uh, we want to continue to have a great history of responsible gaming as always.
2: Was there any struggle at the beginning to sort of figure out exactly how to position yourselves on that front? Because, of course, you know, we're all trying to bring customers in and, you know, get those clicks on the the sites and all that. But at the same time, we want them to do so responsibly. So was there a a, was it at all a, a balancing act, figuring out how to promote sports betting while promoting it responsibly?
3: Well, maybe a little bit, Um, you know, and and I look at, I've worked in the advertising industry for decades and, you know, there are certain vice categories that we've always worked with, with in the Advertising industry, which is in the trillions of dollars, not hundreds of billions of dollars, and you know, it's something that when I first joined Action, I was not a better. I was, you know, a very casual one, Uh, and I still consider myself a casual one. But at the same time, I do so with more frequency because I find it fun and I want to use our products. And and you know, it 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 was always something that we had to be careful with because we are we have a subscription product as well, Uh, and that subscription product people pay us to have access to deeper levels of data, information, and content. And those same people, we don't want them to presume just because you're paying for our content and data and tools means that you're ultimately going to be, you know, 10 times more successful than someone who isn't. So we have to sort of have a delicate balance of messaging in such a way that encourages people to buy, use, and engage with our products and to sign up with our sportsbook partners while also doing it Responsibly and carefully, and that's that's always something that we've been mandated to do, and we take it quite seriously.
1: Yeah, so I've been uh, handling the expansion of legal regulated gambling in the U.S. for more than a dozen years, being based in New Jersey. And so, you know, over the years, I would have Australian and uh, UK uh, investors, in particular, wondering what the heck is wrong with the United States? Why can't they do this stuff and all that? And I would say, well, you know, in New Jersey, we passed a uh, uh, a referendum that allowed for sports betting in New Jersey that ultimately led to, you know, the end of PASPA in 2018. Uh, we legalized online casino in 2013. So, you know, I'm not the right person to ask about why uh, Americans are so slow to gamble because uh, clearly New Jersey were, were up for it. But I'm wondering if you think that there is ever going to be any kind of a cultural shift in attitude by Americans toward gambling toward the levels you see in UK or Ireland or Australia. And I'm thinking specifically of, uh, esports betting which is legal only in New jersey right now and uh, also betting on uh, election campaigns which is a big deal obviously in the uk in particular they don't just bet on their own election they bet on american elections, and they bet a lot of money on it and yet um I, i'm wondering is that do you think that is ever going to come here is esports going to be big is, is are americans ever going to fully embrace gambling in the way that some other countries do
3: Well, I think they will eventually, and part of it is sort of the culture of some of these countries and having a Ladbrokes on every corner. You know, maybe in New York, you have an OTB uh, in certain environments, and you're used to it in that way, or you have a track in your neighborhood, and you know that from there. But the the reality is, it's just more states becoming legal. Um, You know, we're now at, we call them SWOBA states, states where online betting is available is that acronym, and we're at about 18 now. Uh, we have Maryland coming soon. We have Kansas, which just came. Massachusetts might be ending up soon as well. And it's just a matter of more states becoming legal and a larger percentage of the country having access to safe, legal, mobile sports betting. To me, that's the number one way that all of this becomes more popular. It's, you know, part of this was driven by the pandemic and people not wanting to go to physical locations in a lot of ways. But whether you have a remote control or you have whatever other means that you think could be a useful tool for betting, it's still going to be your phone and it's still going to be about more and more States coming online. And I absolutely do believe that betting will become a bigger, broader part of the American zeitgeist and culture in the next, you know, I would say half dozen years. And, you know, the big bogey here that we're all waiting for is California uh, and California is unpredictable. It's the fifth largest economy in the world on a global uh, basis and biggest state by several orders of margin in the U.S. And that is going to change everything. Uh, It's a huge sports state. It's a massive population. There's tons of revenue. And your guess is as good as mine when that happens. But that's going to change a lot of uh, hearts and minds, as they say.
1: Yeah, well, one follow up on that. Uh, Elections, I I, I can't get my head around betting on elections. Uh, you know, maybe that's a traditional American mindset. And like I said, I know other countries do it. A lot of other countries do it. But I mean, is that something it may be a little beyond, you know, it's, your, your company's yeah, no, it's interest, people, but could it happen? It, or?
3: It's something people care about. So in the last uh, election, the 2020 election, um, we had our highest days of traffic in the history of the company. Um, and that's because we cover it. You know, Action Network will always cover where there are markets. Um, you know, esports is a little less on our radar, to be honest. Esports, I know, is is large in Asia. I know it's large in Europe. You know, our typical user has less of an interest in esports, um, but they certainly have an interest in everything from betting on, you know, the Oscars to elections. And as I mentioned, and part of it is doing good SEO work and having very strong content, but we had explosive record-breaking traffic around the last election. Uh, so uh, I, I always follow in and bet, as I say, with my users. And if my users are engaging in this content and it's very popular, then I know for a fact it is.
2: All right, one last quick thing before we let you go, Patrick. I know you're an Eagles fan, as am I. So uh, what, what are fair odds right now on our birds to win the Super Bowl? They got to be like minus a thousand to win it all, right?
3: <laughs> well, I, I got them earlier in the season. At, 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 I forget. I think they're like plus 450 or something like that right now. Um, but, you know, looking at I'm being asked to uh, uh, cash out of several Eagles bets that I've made early in the season, <laughs> including several to win the division before uh, Dak got hurt. Also, the nine and a half win total uh, and Super Bowl. So I'm looking good on all those. But knock on wood, we still have some time and, and, and there's a lot to go. But I feel very confident as long as these Eagles can figure out special teams, which is really the only phase of the game that they're not excelling in right now. Right.
2: All right. That was uh, more more optimistic than pessimistic, which is uh, rare rare to hear from an Eagles fan, but we're all kind of feeling it a little bit right now.
3: Yeah, well, great Great to catch up and uh, best of luck. Thanks
2: so much, Patrick. Great talking to you. Great. Right. See you guys later.
3: All
1: right. Thanks, Patrick.
3: Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll.
2: We'll get to the fast five shortly, but first let's update our betting bankroll. And it was very much an up and down week, but up ultimately prevailed. Um, First, I'll note that some of our MLB futures have been graded at this point, but we'll just save them all for next week. uh, Right after the regular season ends, focusing on last week's bets, we started with a rough defeat on Thursday night football. I took Najee Harris under 55 and a half rushing yards, and he finished with exactly 56. (laughs) And on his final carry, he was already at 56, and he failed to get back to the line of scrimmage. Lost about a half yard, but they officially ruled it no gain. Uh, we were maybe just a couple of inches on the spot from them ruling it a one-yard loss and us winning the bet. Anyway, that cost us $105. We also came up a little short with your USC bet, John. We needed them to win by at least six, and instead they won by just three. So that was a loss of $115. $115. But now the good news, your approach to betting the President's Cup was a winner. We lost $30 on the Internationals to win at plus 700 and $20 on Thomas to be the top American point scorer, but we won $160 on Spieth to be the top American. So that's a nice $110 profit there. And lastly, we mentioned Jags Chargers at the very top of the podcast. I had a sixty dollars money line bet on the Jags at plus two sixty five. So that won us one hundred fifty nine dollars, and that puts us up forty nine dollars for the week. Now down by three thousand two hundred thirty eight dollars overall. We still have one thousand three hundred twenty five dollars on hold in futures bets, leaving us with five thousand four hundred thirty seven dollars available to bet with this week. And I'm up first. And you've probably seen or heard this stat by now, John, I I mentioned it in my Monday line it up column on U.S. bets that NFL games this season are 30, 17 and one to the under. Uh, And in the night games, the unders are really hitting for whatever reason. Uh, I believe the under is eight and two so far this season in night games. For tonight's game between the Bengals and Dolphins that I'll be watching on prime video while you're doing something else with your time, John, uh, <laughs> I shopped around and found a line of 47 and a half at FanDuel with only minus 106 juice on the under. So I'm going to bet the under A, because the trend says to and I'm the sort of amateur who will gladly jump on a small sample size trend and <laughs> B, because I do think it's the correct side with Chua either not playing or not quite 100 percent and same for Jalen Waddle. I don't think this is likely to miss by a ton. This isn't going to be some gross 13 to 10 game, I don't think. But I do like the under here, so I will watch and I will root against scoring Darren Rovell style.
1: All right. Sounds good. And I'll just like you say, I won't watch the game, but that's OK. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm feeling good about that Spieth bet last week because uh, along the lines of betting what you know, right, there's all, there are only 12 players on each team in the Ryder Cup or the President's Cup uh, each year, and really very few of them can go five and zero because they, they don't even play all five sessions. Mm. So I pretty much knew that bros Thomas and Spieth would pair up four times before the singles. So realistically, I was just taking each of them over bros Patrick Cantley and Sandra Shuffley or bros Scotty Scheffler and Sam Burns, who I correctly suspected we just a tad more burned out at season's end than my duo. So uh, I, I had a good premise there and it paid off so i mm-hmm. feel good about that uh let's look at college football our colleagues at the action network had an impressive write-up this week on the baylor oklahoma state game and a likelihood of going over the total uh best i could find is 56 and a half points on caesars so let's take that at 110 to win 100 it's possible this game goes into overtime it's a close call uh which would bail us out if we needed to bail
2: us out with baylor oh, yeah, I, I don't nice. think that's yeah. what you were going for no but, it uh... wasn't but i like it. <laughs> we'll take it all right um I'm sticking with NFL for my second round of bets as it's a pretty dead weekend in the boxing world and you know, boxing and NFL are the only sports I really follow right now, other than baseball and my Phillies are collapsing and I'm terrified to bet baseball until the regular season is over. So um, I have two more NFL mini bets this week. Uh, One is another trend-based bet. The Eagles in first halves this year have outscored their opponents 72 to 21 in second halves. They've been outscored 29 to 14, including scoring zero points each of the, last two weeks after scoring exactly 24 in the first half both Mm. times they're a fast starting team and then if they have a lead they clam up so i like that i can get the jags plus three and a half in the second half against the eagles i'm betting against my team but Not really, if I'm banking on the Eagles being up a touchdown or two or three at halftime, uh, the line doesn't reflect this Eagles trend. You know, they're favored by seven and the sports book is just splitting it into three and a half in the first half and three and a half in the second. So uh, we'll just do a mini bet 55 to win 50 on the Jags plus three and a half in the second half. And then my other one. In my column, two weeks in a row, I've nailed my money line underdog pick of the week. Uh, Thank you, Jaguars, once again. Um, So let's bet this week's. I have Titans plus 154 at Colts. These are pretty even teams to me. If anything, I think Tennessee is better, but the Colts are at home. So again, strikes me as a coin flip game, and we're getting plus 154 on the Titans. So we'll bet $50 to win
1: 77. All right. And I'm going to stay in the same neck of the woods on college football. Let's do another 110 to win 100 on Oklahoma minus six and a half points against TCU. This seems like an overreaction to the Sooners loss last week. And this line jumped from an earlier minus five. So I'm kind of riding the wave there. I'm still not giving the full touchdown. So that works for me.
2: All right. So it is an all football uh, betting bankroll week for us. Um, And we finished the show with the fast five where. Minor cause for celebration, John and I both had winning weeks, although I suspect John is nevertheless feeling slightly aggrieved by his results. Uh, We both went three and two with John winning our one head-to-head game this time when the Cowboys beat the Giants. That was one of three clear-cut wins for John. The others were the Ravens and Titans, while his losses came by just a half point with Houston and two and a half points in the ugly Broncos-Niners game. Uh, Besides losing with the Giants, I lost a weird one with my square pick of the Chiefs and one with that traditional NFL power trio of the Jags, Panthers, and Lions. Uh, So I'm now eight and seven on the season. John is two games behind me at six and nine, and I'm up first this week. And I'll start with the London game. Uh, There's no home team there, really. The Vikings are favored by two and a half over the Saints on this neutral field. The Saints are banged up and just not all that good. We're on the correct side of the hook uh, with the team that I think is clearly a a notch better. So give me Minnesota minus two and a half. Uh, Next up, I just got done explaining why I think the Titans on the money line are a good bet at Indy and on the spread at Superbook for the contest we're getting the hook plus three and a half. So that's pretty much a no-brainer for me that they can lose by a field goal and I'd still be on the winning side. Um, now, there are some really great games this week on the NFL schedule. Uh, Bills, Ravens, Bucks, Chiefs, etc. But I'm not picking any of those. I'm finding myself locked into the very worst games, including Bears at Giants. One of these teams is going to be three and one after this game, which is wild. And I think it's the Giants. Uh, yeah, they burned me last week, but... They didn't really burn me. It was a close game all the way. They're bad, but not awful. Whereas the Bears, I think they're a legit bottom five NFL team, despite their 2 and one record. Justin Fields sure looks on his way to being a bust. The Giants are giving three at home. I think they can cover that. Uh, Another clash of juggernauts. The Lions hosting the Seahawks. I'm shocked the Lions are only favored by four here. Yeah, DeAndre Swift is hurt, but Jamal Williams can step right in their magnitudes better than this Seahawks team. In my view, I thought the line would be six or seven. So definitely give me Detroit minus four. And lastly, back to the NFC East and keeping all five of my games in the early window. I'll repent for last week's giants pick by taking Dallas minus three at home against Washington. Cooper rush. Ain't so bad after all, I guess. And I'm a little surprised I don't have to give up the hook here at minus three and a half. It's only minus three. Uh, the Eagles sacked Carson Wentz approximately 65 times last week. The Cowboys should have similar success. So uh, I will take Dallas minus three. All right.
1: Uh, well, Dolphins quarterback Tua, Tua, whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he says he'll try to play in a Thursday night game in spite of a sore back. Well, he tried that in the second half last week and it didn't go that well. Yeah. So make this bet a referendum on backup quarterback Teddy Bridgewater. And I'm not buying that. So uh, I'll give the Bengals minus four points as I think they're better than the Dolphins anyway. Um, bad offensive lines and shaky quarterbacks are my next theme. So I'm going against the Bears plus three against the Giants and shell shock Daniel Jones, who's preparing to be sacked six or eight or 20 more times. Um, this could be an incredibly low scoring game because Justin Fields is a bust, as you say. Uh, and then Steelers minus three and a half versus the Jets, the Giants' Meadowlands mates uh, with inexperienced Zach Wilson making a season debut and taking a beating there another game there might be very few points in yes. um, lots of Super Bowl talks surrounding your giddy Eagles, but like <laughs> the Dolphins, they come down to earth this week and 1972 Dolphins pop the champagne corks yet again, as there will be no undefeated team this year. Now the Eagles are going to fall to the upstart Jaguars, but I get six and a half points as a cushion just in case the Eagles do sneak by and maybe score a touchdown or so in the second half. Um, mm-hmm. Finally, the Raiders are the only and three team in the NFL, and they remedy that easily at somehow only minus three points against a laughable and coachless Broncos
2: yeah you've been consistent in not believing in the Broncos <laughs> since since during the preseason really so uh, sticking with that one so once again we have uh, yeah. four yeah. separate games and one yeah. head-to-head that's <laughs> happened all four weeks <laughs> all right and that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On thanks to everybody out there for listening and thanks again to our guest Patrick Keene you can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow us bets at us underscore bets go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling And subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, John, please take us
1: out. You know, a gracious loser or a whiny winner, those aren't the only choices for betters, but both are pretty common. And (laughs) I have to admit, I was ticked off a Texans quarterback quarterback. Davis Mills' blunder with just over a minute left on Sunday. And the spread loss in the 49ers game was excruciating. But I didn't dwell on it in the earlier pick segment. And I'm going to try and keep that up in the future. You know, presumably, either your listeners know the deal in those games or you don't care. And either way, me griping about it is not going to do any good. You know, I had five pretty good picks and I got three and it's good enough. So whether this attitude leads me to some good karma, uh, it's too soon to tell. But I feel better about this already. You know, I've never gotten off to a poor start in the previous four years of this, too. So keeping My emotional equilibrium. They prove more and more of a challenge if I slump. But uh, with that said, until next time, gamble on.